welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 3, a podcast for people who love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Today we are talking about Season 3, Episode 7, Revelations. In particular, I'll cover how this episode has so many more layers on rewatching, the strong themes of guilt, vulnerability, and isolation, the way a new character is built in each line of her dialogue, and whether the conflict here feels forced at times because the characters' motives and reactions don't seem as well-motivated as we usually see in Buffy. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Revelations was directed by James A. Contner and written by Douglas Petrie. The first time I watched this episode when the show was airing, I liked it, but it didn't quite land for me. And looking at it carefully, I think I see part of why that is. Some of the conflict feels a little manufactured. I also noticed a couple plot holes. At the same time, on the second watch, when I watched it on the DVDs going through the series as a whole, I saw so much here. It is a great episode to look at where it is truly built to provide a different and more um, in-depth experience when you already know what is coming in the episode itself, let alone in the whole season. We start with an opening conflict. This is the conflict that draws the audience in. It sometimes relates to the main plot and sometimes not. Here we get escalating conflicts. In the bronze, Cordelia, Xander, and Willow are sitting at a table watching Oz's band play. He finishes, walks over to join them. The table is crowded and Xander moves very close to Cordelia. She makes a comment about him being all over her. And Willow says, I think it's great when two people like two people and want to be close to them and not anyone else. This is the start of many awkward lines Willow will say because she is feeling guilty about having kissed Xander. Oz squeezes into the table. This pushes Willow and Xander closer together and they jerk apart as they do, their hands bang into their glasses, which fall all over the floor, and Cordelia asks what's wrong with them. Willow, rather than respond, raises a different conflict. So it's our second one, and she says, Speaking of people and things they do that aren't like usual, has anyone noticed how different Buffy has been acting? And Xander says no, she's slaying zombies and fighting, just the usual. 
which is a nice bit of exposition. And we get a little more because Willow says Buffy's been off alone a lot and the group speculates that maybe she has a new boyfriend. But why would she hide it? Cordelia explains exactly why Buffy might hide a new boyfriend. She says, excuse me, when your last study killed half the class and your rebound guy sends you a dumpogram, it makes a girl shy. So much information we got in there for the audience, but also uh, great conflict and fun. Buffy appears, picks up on the conversation. She says she's not dating anyone, but she is going out with someone tonight. And Faith comes up, puts her arms around Buffy, and asks if she's ready to go. And now we get another conflict, and this is the one that relates to our main plot about a new watcher in Sunnydale and the demon she's hunting. Faith and Buffy are fighting two different vampires in a coordinated way. They seem to be having fun. Giles, though, looks a bit bored as he sits on the bench and reads. They kill both vampires at the same time and high five. Buffy says, synchronized slang. And Faith says, new Olympic category. Buffy turns to Giles and says, what do you think? But a British woman walks onto the scene. She wears a pencil skirt and heels and pearls and has her hair in a bun. Right away, this tells us a lot. Uh, she's very Giles-like in appearance in the sense of how she dresses. And her first line sets her tone right away. She says, sloppy, you telegraph punches, leave blindsides open, and for a school night slang, take entirely too much time. Which one of you is Faith? Faith responds that it depends. Who the hell is she? Miss Post says, your new watcher. So this is Gwendolyn Post. And we go to credits. Now we will see the spark of the story, also called the inciting incident. We typically see that 10% through the episode. This episode is really interesting because we had those three conflicts in quick succession in our opening, and now we will have what I almost see as three sparks. Really, the first one before the credits is simply Gwendolyn Post appearing on the scene. That does get the story rolling. But we have a few moments that more specifically start the plot here. Buffy and Giles are in the library with Mrs. Post. Faith says she doesn't need a new watcher, no offense, and she argues she has a problem with authority figures in that they tend to end up dead. Post says it's not up to her, and she turns to Giles at 4 minutes 35 seconds in, so that would be right about 10%, and asks him where he keeps the rest of his books, the actual library. Giles assures her his collection is the finest occult collection, and she cuts him off and says, yes, yes, the best on this side of the Atlantic. She then asks him for two obscure-sounding books, one of which he doesn't have, the other he mumbles that it's on order. She asks for a Twilight Compendium, and he says, oh yes, uh, and rushes to get it, clearly pleased he has something. But she immediately shuts him down by saying, of course you do. We are building her character line by line and already know so much about her. And this is one of the things that was so interesting the first time I rewatched 
Because then, of course, we realize whether or not this is her nature generally, she is very carefully manipulating Giles and purposely setting him off balance, making him feel inferior. She tells them she was sent for an important reason, that Faith needs a new watcher. Faith protests, but Giles tells her that if the council thinks she needs a watcher of her own, of course, they will follow the council's dictates. Now we get uh, the last of the moments that I see as a story spark. We're about 5 minutes, 23 seconds in. And Ms. Post says, the council wishes me to report on the entire situation here, including you. And Buffy says, hmm, academic probation's not so funny today, huh, Giles? So she is doubling down on throwing him off guard, now making him worry about his job and being scrutinized. Though it is not mentioned in this episode, remember that in Faith, Hope, and Trick, there was a watcher's retreat and Giles, the council excluded him from it or didn't invite him and he felt rather wistful about that. Gwendolyn Post is playing right on that feeling. We don't ever find out if she knows about that but it works perfectly here and it's another example of how the show particularly in this season really builds these different issues and these character beats because when that happened back in faith hope and trick i saw it as mainly there for humor but now we see how that led to this episode where post is able to play so much on giles vulnerability post follows up and says that the thinking at the council is that giles has become too american and giles says me and buffy says him Post then tells them that there is a demon called Lagos. It has come to Sunnydale and asks Mr. Giles for an illustration. Poor Giles says, oh, um, and goes looking for a book. Of course, before he can even put his hands on anything, she says, perhaps later. She tells them Lagos is seeking the glove of Minigon. It's a highly dangerous glove and the demon must be stopped. And Giles says, what do you propose? Post responds with great sarcasm. Well, if it's not too radical a suggestion, I thought we might kill him. She is just the worst boss anyone has ever had where you try to be helpful or ask a question or clarify something and you're treated like an idiot. I wonder if Giles would stand for this if he didn't already feel a bit vulnerable after being excluded from that retreat. Post tells them that Lagos can be found in cemeteries. He tells her there are 12 in Sunnydale just within the city limits. Post tells him anything in your books that might help pinpoint the exact location of the tomb would be useful, but then we cannot ask for miracles. Giles is sitting at the library table and he suppresses whatever he was going to say. We hear that vocalization where he almost speaks and then he turns his head to one side and sighs. A really nice way to show how he is feeling. They all agree they will start tomorrow at sunset and Post takes Faith with her. Giles says that was bracing and Buffy says, interesting lady, can I kill her? He tells her the council might frown on that and asks how she feels about training. 
So this is another transition to the next scene like we saw last Monday in Band Candy because now we cut to Angel and Buffy doing Tai Chi in the courtyard of the mansion at night. So they are training together. This is the first of the minor, I guess it's not a plot hole, but a plot question I have, which is with 12 cemeteries and a very dangerous demon, why wouldn't they have started tonight? I think the answer is we really want this scene for the sake of the story. We want this scene with Buffy and Angel. Uh, Probably I didn't notice that question the first time I watched through, but there's a number of these, and I think that they contributed to why the episode just felt a little off to me on first watching. So Buffy and Angel are moving closer and closer as they do Tai Chi, A little bit later, they almost kiss and Buffy pulls away and says she has to go. She says she better hurry before someone figures out what they're doing. And Angel asks, what are we doing? And Buffy says training and almost kissing. They talk about how hard it is. She says it's an old habit, a bad habit. They need to quit cold turkey and then says, you think they make a patch for this? So now we get vulnerability for Buffy that difficulty despite knowing the consequences of when she and Angel had sex, how hard it is for her to deal with all her feelings for him being back. And we also have guilt, which will be a theme in this episode because she hasn't told anybody about Angel. She tells Angel that she's hunting for Lagos and he recognizes the demon's name. We switch to the library with Willow and Xander. Giles is frustrated. He is talking to Xander and he says this is intolerable, that they can't find anything in the books. He doesn't have time for it. And he tells Xander to just learn all he can, and most importantly, why this demon wants the glove. And Giles' anger and his tone, um, he sounds so angry, and it shows more of his vulnerability. Because normally, he is pretty calm and measured, and particularly, it's rare that he would yell at Xander and Willow. Willow is sitting upstairs, so she's overhearing this. He did yell at Xander over the love spell last season because that was a really stupid thing to do, but it's unlike him to get mad that they can't find something. And Xander rightly points out, hey, you're not the watcher of me. But Giles has no sympathy. He says, well, then go home, but if he's going to stay, he should work. We're about 10 minutes in. Giles stalks into his office. Xander goes up onto the second level with Willow, who says she's tired and it's late, and they sit against the stacks. She is rubbing her temples. Her eyes, she says, are blurry. Xander reaches around to rub her temples for her. Uh, She says, stop, and Xander says, right. Stop means no, and no means no, so um, stopping. And he withdraws, but Willow turns to him and grabs him and kisses him. As they're kissing, Giles comes up the stairs. He calls their names. They split apart. He tells them he found what he needs, the probable location of the glove, in the Restfield Cemetery. It's 
unclear if he noticed them kissing. He probably doesn't care if he did. So now we are getting to our one quarter twist, the first major plot turn that comes usually about 25% through from outside the protagonist and spins the story in a new direction. It also usually raises the stakes. At 11 minutes, 42 seconds in, Giles says he is not sure where Buffy is, and Xander offers to go check out the crypt. So this really spins the story because it leads to Xander seeing Angel. So it's so interesting because we think we are in a plot to this point about the new watcher and the demon, but it turns out we're also in a plot about everyone learning that Angel is back. This though is a character moment I question. I believe that Xander would volunteer and he basically tells us later when he's talking to himself in the cemetery, clearly very frightened, that he volunteered because he was feeling so guilty and it was just one, something probably to distract Giles in case Giles did see them kissing, but also because he just felt bad. So he did this stupid thing to go to a cemetery alone at night when there's a demon out there. So I don't question him doing this, but I do question Giles agreeing to Xander going alone. There's really no world in which I buy that Giles would be fine with that, wouldn't tell him to wait for Buffy or go find Faith or something, or even Giles himself go with. So I feel like the answer is we needed Xander to be alone to see Angel for the rest of the plot to work. In a perfect world, writers wouldn't do things like that. And most of the time, I think when writers do, including myself, we often don't realize that we are manufacturing a bit or not being quite true to the characters. But also, my understanding is with television writing, particularly when we had these 22-episode seasons, there is just a limited time to get that script done. So some of the time, I think there has to be a decision that, okay, we just got to move this story forward. And in Buffy in particular, because the emotional storytelling is so strong, usually even if there is something like that, it, it doesn't matter to me because I so want that story. Here, I don't know how much I noticed that on first watch, but it may be another thing that contributed to my feeling that the episode didn't work as well as I hoped for me. We switch to Faith and Buffy. They are patrolling in, uh, I guess, what would be the downtown area of Sunnydale, past stores and the coffee shop. And Faith is cataloging her boyfriends. And she says, Ronnie, Deadbeat, Steve, Klepto, Kenny, Drummer. Eventually, I just had to face up to my destiny as a loser magnet. This line always makes me laugh. I mentioned, I think it was in last week's episode, that one of my brothers had a rock band and they had an endless number of drummers that cycled through. So we're always making comments about drummers. Whether that was the drummer's problem or the band's problem, I don't know, but I do love the line. Faith goes on to say, now it's get some, get gone. You can't trust guys. Faith wants to know about Buffy's past and she says there's not much to tell these days. But Faith pushes. She says, I've had my share of losers, but you boink the undead. What was that like? 
Buffy says life with Angel is complicated and then backpedals and says it was complicated and it's hard to talk about. And Faith says, well, try. Buffy would rather not. Um, and so Faith says, then let's just call it a night. They're 0 for 6. And Faith will swing through the next cemetery by herself. So we see that Faith feels rejected here. Though she does try to um, cover it a bit. And when telling Buffy she doesn't need Buffy to come with, she says she's got post on her back now. She doesn't need another babysitter. This also, I'm uncertain whether I feel like this works. Sure, Faith was talking about her past and opening up, and she wanted Buffy to do likewise, but I have to think she would understand the difference between, hey, here's this string of guys that didn't work out, and Buffy having slept with Angel and he turns evil, and she has to kill him. It, it's just such a huge thing that I don't quite buy that Faith takes it so personally when Buffy won't immediately open up to her, especially because Buffy hasn't exactly been oversharing with the friends that she's known forever. But this does go to that theme of isolation, and throughout the episode we will see that Faith feels isolated from the group. When she gets to the cemetery, Faith comes upon the demon, Lagos going through a crypt, they fight. He easily throws her aside, but she keeps coming back. She's not able to stop him, though. All the same, he leaves in disgust. He has not found what he wanted. At about 14 minutes in, we switch to the Restfield Cemetery. Xander is breathing hard as he goes through it, talking to himself, and this is where he says that thing about doing something stupid to alleviate uh, his guilt by getting himself really, really killed. So he recognizes the danger. Now Xander sees Angel uh, a little bit away. Angel doesn't notice Xander. And Angel has something wrapped up that he's carrying in his arms. And he leaves the cemetery. And he looks much more like himself than he did in previous episodes. We saw him very shaky and uncertain. At the beginning of this episode, he seemed somewhat stronger. And when Xander sees him, he's in his long black coat. He pretty much looks like he always did. Xander follows Angel from a distance. And I can't decide if this is stupid or brave on Xander's part since Xander doesn't know if Angel is evil again or not. The scene switches to Angel and Buffy. They're inside the mansion, uh, embracing and kissing. Xander reaches the mansion and looks through the windows and sees them. And they break apart. And Buffy says, oh, God. And they talk about they can't do this. Angel tells her that he got the glove. He shows it to her. And it has all these tines on it around the base. She is about to touch it, and he tells her, no, once you put it on, you can never take it off. And Buffy says, so no touching, kind of like us. She tells him that she will tell Giles at least he'll be happy. So this moment with Angel showing her the glove really makes me question the timing here because we saw Xander see Angel in the cemetery carrying the glove. And he seems to be following Angel from a distance. Yet somehow, 
before Xander reaches the mansion, Angel has put the glove aside because he later has to take it out to show it to Buffy or at least unwrap it. And Buffy has arrived because if she was there when he got back I'm sure he would have told her right away that he had the glove he would have said hey here it is so she arrives they start embracing and kissing Xander now Xander comes and sees them and then Angel shows her the glove like this timing just doesn't work so that is another of those not necessarily plot holes but inconsistencies that undercut the storytelling a little bit here so the scene with Buffy and Angel ends with Buffy saying she'll tell Giles about the glove at least he'll be happy we switch to Giles at his apartment. He has found an illustration of the glove. He shows it to Miss Post, who is there with him, and she immediately dismisses it, um, saying it was some sort of wood carving that's known to be unreliable, and tells him pictures are fun to look at, but one really ought to read the nice words as well. She then is questioning Giles, um, tells him when he lets little things slip, then it all goes to hell. For example, Buffy. And he assures her he's in complete control of his slayer. Of course, at that moment, Xander bursts in and says, Giles, we have a big problem. It's Buffy. So worst timing ever for Giles. And this does set up his later reactions to learning that Angel is alive. And this does set up how angry he becomes at Buffy. At 18 minutes, 20 seconds into the episode, Buffy walks into the library the next day. She seems very happy and says, Lagos is out of luck. She's got the glove. And she sees her friends sitting around the library table. Giles is standing nearby. They all look very serious. And she says, what's with all the tragedy masks? Giles tells her to take a seat. Xander half stands, grips his chair, and kind of moves it around toward Buffy. He has his back to her, drops it on the floor, and steps away. And I mentioned that motion because if you watch it, it conveys so much of how Xander is so hostile to Buffy. Giles tells her after she sits that they know Angel's alive. Xander saw her, and she's been hiding him. Buffy protests that it's not what they think, and Xander thinks she's harboring a vicious killer. Willow pushes everyone to use I statements. I feel angry. I feel worried. And Cordelia says, fine, here's one. I feel worried about me. Last time around, Angel barely laid a hand on Buffy. He was way more interested in killing her friends. As is often the case with Cordelia, this is the clearest statement of why everyone is angry and particularly why she is because I don't think Cordelia would feel as personally betrayed that Buffy didn't share with her but she is concerned about the danger and she has a point. Angel went after everyone else. Buffy is trying to tell them he's better. Um, she doesn't need this intervention. And Giles says, doesn't she? She must have known it was wrong to see him because she hid it. When she says she was waiting, she didn't know why he came back. Xander demands waiting for what? For Angel to go psycho again next time she gives him a happy. She tells them that they're not together like that. And Oz says, but you were kissing him. This is so Oz, just this simple declarative statement, but you were kissing him. 
Of course, Buffy knows where it came from, and she says to Xander, you were spying on me? What gives you the right? And Buffy tries to say it was an accident. Xander says something like, what, you tripped and fell on his lips? She's very upset. She's saying she knows it was wrong. It can't happen again, and she would never put them in danger. If she thought Angel would hurt anyone, and Xander says, you would stop him, like you did last time with Miss Calendar. I have to think this reference to Miss Calendar adds to Giles' pain, not not that he wouldn't be thinking about it. But Buffy tells them Angel is good again. He found the glove. Xander scoffs at that great plan, scary guy with this dangerous glove. She accuses Xander of jealousy, which he denies. I think, and probably most fans, think that this is a fair statement. Not that some of the concerns Xander raises aren't valid, but his anger at her has a lot to do with him feeling he should be able to tell her who she can be involved with because she had the nerve to not be interested in him. Giles steps in to end this. He says that Buffy heard their concerns. Her actions, however ill-advised, can be understood, and their priority is to retrieve the glove. He tells them to go back to class. So very how to win friends and influence people from Giles trying to see it from Buffy's point of view, at least in what he says. But we will see at the midpoint that he is having a lot of trouble doing that. Before that, though, a quick break. This episode of Buffy and the Art of Story is sponsored by my own Awakening Supernatural Thriller series. In the first book, college student Tara's mysterious pregnancy turns her life upside down. Only a stranger believes her claim that she's a virgin, but the powerful cult he belongs to turns on her when she reveals her child will be a girl. On the run and afraid, Tara fights to discover whether she and her daughter are meant to save the world or destroy it. The first book ebook editions are free on Kindle, Kobo, Nook, Google Play, and Apple. You can find uh, The Awakening and All My Fiction at lisalilly.com, L-I-S-A-L-I-L-L-Y, and there is a link in the show notes. Now we are at our midpoint, where we typically see a serious reversal of fortune for the protagonist or a major commitment. Here at 21 minutes, 41 seconds in, we get one of the most heartbreaking Giles and Buffy scenes. And I think this is driven by Post's critiques of Giles, his vulnerability, his fear of losing his job as Buffy's watcher. I do think that is in there underneath it because she is there evaluating him and Xander's reminder about Jenny. Buffy says he's in his office. She walks in, pauses in the doorway and says, thanks for the bail in there. I know it's a lot to absorb, but... Giles cuts her off and he says, quiet, I won't remind you that the fate of the world often lies with the slayer for what would be the point, nor shall I remind you that you've jeopardized the lives of all that you hold dear by harboring a known murderer. But sadly, I must remind you that Angel tortured me for hours, for pleasure. You should have told me he was alive. You didn't. 
You have no respect for me or the job I perform. So here is a question. Does Giles feel that Angel, not Angelus, is personally responsible for torturing Giles? I think logically he does not. And we'll see that later because he is not worried when he talks to Mrs. Post. He's not worried about Angel having the glove. So I don't think he sees them as the same people. I read this as the issue is that Buffy didn't tell him. If she had told him, he might have listened to her and understood. Also, it embarrassed him in front of Post. It made him look terrible and undermined him. And it's in a way nice to know that Giles is human Uh, We have got a little of that before when we learned about his past, but even that here, he can feel vulnerable and he can react in not the best way. Because I do believe that once he has had more time, he does understand a little more and doesn't really feel that Buffy was purposely disrespecting him. But right now, he is so angry. We switch to the motel room where Faith is living. There's a knock on her door and she answers with stake raised, no doubt remembering Kukistos in Faith, Hope, and Trick, tricking her into opening the door. Mrs. Post, though, tells her vampires rarely knock. Obviously, she doesn't know Sunnydale very well. She calls Faith's room Spartan and tells her the Spartans focused on the battle and needed nothing else. She also tells Faith she'll be hard on her, that Faith may come to hate her, and Faith responds, you think? But she'll make her better slayer and keep her alive, and Post says, you have to trust that I am right. Faith seems very blue before she opens the door. She seems vulnerable to Post's manipulations, and I guess that is supposed to be because Buffy did not share with her. And again, that just doesn't feel quite strong enough to me. But what comes next does. Post says she doesn't understand Giles' methods. And when Faith tries to defend him, Post says something like, well, let him have his games and secret meetings with Buffy and her friends. And Faith says... Buffy's friends, which she guesses doesn't include her. I don't know if Post is deliberately playing on this if she knew Faith was excluded, but whether she's doing it purposely or not, it has the desired effect because Faith's feeling of isolation and exclusion make her buy into Gwendolyn Post when normally she does not trust people. So here is the other plot issue I have. I don't understand why Giles didn't include Faith as part of this intervention with Buffy. You would think if the group is really concerned that Angel might be evil, that it would be important for the other Slayer in town to know that Angel might be back. Now this might go to Giles isn't really concerned that Angel is evil. All the same, It seems like he would have wanted Faith in on this. And if he was afraid that Faith would go off and just try to kill Angel, you would think that would have given him some understanding of why Buffy didn't want to tell everyone. So probably we just didn't have enough time to cover all of these things 
But it does feel a bit artificial that Faith was excluded and that this then drives her to trust Post, which is key to the story. Um, Gwendolyn Post asks her if she wants to do some training, and Faith says, punching, hitting, stabbing, I'm your girl. Buffy and Willow are talking at Willow's locker. Willow is not mad at Buffy. She understands that Buffy was scared and kept a secret. And she does more rambling, saying secrets must be good. There must be a reason why we keep them. Buffy tells her she's going to try to kill Lagos as a peace offering to Giles. Because Lagos will still be hunting for the glove, not knowing that Angel has it. We switch to the bronze. Xander is playing pool. He's hitting uh, the pool balls very hard. Faith comes up and says he looks pissed. And she guesses that the group was talking behind her back about the glove, that there's more to it than they said. But Xander lets her know she's wrong about that. The issue is that Angel is still alive and he has the glove. Faith says, guy like that, that kind of glove could kill a whole mess of people. And Xander responds that he raised that with Buffy and she didn't seem to care. And Faith says Buffy knew he was alive. They both agree you can't take a chance with someone like Angel on whether he changed. And Faith says, I say I slay. And Xander says, can I come? I do feel like this is some of the worst Xander that we get. I will go with the idea that maybe he isn't convinced Angel has changed. But I don't know. Seeing Angel and Buffy kissing, clearly Angel is not evil again because when he was, he was pretty much always trying to kill Buffy and her friends. So I guess we'd have to say Xander is afraid um, Angel will change. But I still say, worst Xander. We're 27 minutes in, in Giles' office. Miss Post comes in and seems grateful for the tea, saying she is knackered. Giles comments that it's her first slayer, isn't it? And she says, are you questioning my methods? So interestingly, she does what I have read you are supposed to do when someone is saying passive-aggressive things to you, is just confront it directly. And Giles did not do that before when she tried to undermine him, and I think it was because he did feel so vulnerable. He assures her he has respect for her methods in his American way, and he also has the glove. It's with a friend of Buffy's. So we do see here Giles is not concerned that Angel is evil, at least not right now. Poe says they must get the glove right away, and Giles says not just get it, but destroy it. And she says, destroy it. He tells her about the living flame he learned about that will destroy it. As he turns to his book, she hits him on the back of the head with a statue and knocks him out. At 28 and a half minutes in, now we know that Post is evil. You could see this as the next major plot turn, but it doesn't really spin the story because we already knew she was evil. It does get Giles out of the way, but I think there is a major turn still to come. First, we are with Buffy and Willow in the graveyard. Willow is funny. She asks why Buffy is not uh, did not ask Faith to come with her. And she says, not to downplay my own slaying abilities, which in some circles are considered formidable. Buffy says she tried calling Faith and got no answer. They talk about Buffy's secret. 
And Buffy feels better with the secret out. Willow says, sure, it's a big burden lifted. Keeping secrets is a lot of work. And she says, one could hypothetically imagine. She does ask if when Angel was a secret, it was sexier. And this tells us a little maybe about Willow's draw to Xander. Willow has always been the one who does the right thing and follows the rules. And maybe that level of sneaking around is exciting, is a draw to her. Buffy says for her, it was not that it just made it more pressure, feel like more pressure. She wants to know why Willow is asking, and Willow says she has something to tell Buffy. But the demon appears and interrupts. Buffy fights it and beheads it. She's very happy. Then she asks what Willow wanted to tell her, but Willow chickens out and claims her secret was just that she opened her SAT test booklet five minutes early. Xander and Faith go to the library to get the best weapons, and they hear Giles moaning. Xander calls 911. Faith assumes it was Angel. And when Xander questions that, she says, how much more proof do you need? And Xander says a bite would be nice. But Faith is not going to wait. She's going to kill Angel and she takes off. Does this fit Faith as we know her? I think it does. She loves to fight. She's angry at Buffy. She doesn't trust guys. I don't think this is quite the three-quarter turn yet because Faith is only doubling down on what she was going to do anyway. At 32 minutes in, we see Angel at the mansion. He has a cauldron with flame coming out of it. And now we are reaching that last major plot turn. Giles at the library is being taken out by paramedics. Buffy comes in and he tells her she must destroy the glove, use living flame. He's having trouble talking, so perhaps he can be forgiven for not telling her about Gwendolyn Post. And Buffy has no trouble figuring that out. So the major plot turn here is not really spoken. I think it is the turn and the shift from Buffy going after the glove to destroy it and to stop Gwendolyn Post, despite that that isn't explicitly said. Xander tells her Angel's not as cured as she thought um, and explains that Faith assumed and claims that he didn't and tells her Faith had a 10-minute head start. Buffy tells Willow, who has come with her, and Xander to figure out the flame and bring it. Willow is not happy with Xander. She tells him to shut up and help her. At the mansion, Post comes to see Angel, and she pretty easily fools him. So again, I think we get that theme of isolation and the the problems it causes because Angel, he has been so isolated from everyone that he doesn't know anything about who Post is. When she says that Giles sent her and she knows all about the glove and the living flame and that she's there to help destroy it, he has no reason not to believe her. Just as Giles has been somewhat isolated from the council, so he's isolated. Faith was isolated from the others, which led her to believe in Post. Buffy has been isolated by keeping silent about Angel, which is part of what creates this very situation here. Post tells him that Lagos is on the way, so clearly he doesn't know yet that Buffy killed Lagos. And if he's doing this wrong, instead of destroying the glove, he could make it more powerful. This is what finally persuades him. He tells her it's in the trunk. 
She brains him and knocks him out and says, I love this town. Everyone's so helpful. As she's struggling to open the trunk, though, Angel stands up behind her in vamp face. So she is surprised she didn't know he was a vampire. Giles only said Buffy's friend had the glove. They fight. She's a very good fighter, but he ultimately throws her against the wall. Faith comes in at that moment, and I do buy the confusion here because with everything she knows, and now she's seeing Angel and Vampface, she's seeing Miss Post on the floor, she fights Angel, throws him on the ground, and is about to stake him, and Buffy comes in and intervenes at the last second. Back at the library, Willow and Xander have all the ingredients, but agree there's no time to test it when they see in the book what the glove does. Back to Faith and Buffy. They are arguing. Post tells Faith that Buffy is blinded by love. I might have liked to see Buffy try to explain a little more, but it would be pretty hard during this fight scene. Another plot question I have is, this is a long fight sequence. We don't see Angel at all, so I guess he was knocked out, but that seems that doesn't quite fit the action sequence we saw with him and Faith. Also, kind of odd that he's so easily knocked out, though he is probably still in a weakened state, so that would make him more vulnerable. All the same, it's a little weird that Angel, he's just kind of down for the count. Buffy and Faith crash through these windows on the edge of the mansion into the courtyard. Xander and Willow run in. Post is still on the floor and she tells them the glove is in the trunk to get it and to help Faith. Xander tries to intervene in the fight. Bad idea because Faith just throws him aside. We're now at the climax where our opposing forces clash for the last time and the issues and conflict resolve. We're at 37 minutes, 47 seconds in. Post is getting into the trunk to take out the glove as Willow watches. She puts it on and those tines grab onto her arm one at a time. She points up at the ceiling and chants and lightning comes through the skylight. Faith and Buffy stop and stare. Post looks at them and says, Faith, a word of advice. You're an idiot. She says some more words. I think it's in Latin and aims at Faith and Buffy and fires at them. They dive away together. Now Angel, I guess, wakes up. And as Post fires at Willow, Angel dives and saves her, gets her out of the way. Buffy tells Faith to draw Post's fire. Faith runs and does that. As Post is firing at Faith, Buffy finds a big piece of glass. Then when Post reaches toward the ceiling again, Buffy throws that glass and it laps off Post's lower arm and the glove with it. Lightning strikes Post and fries her into oblivion. We are now at the falling action where we tie up loose ends. We're about 40 minutes in. Smoke is everywhere and everybody walks toward where Post was standing. The glove lying on the ground. It's Tyne's release from her severed arm. We switch to school the next day in the seating area. 
We learn the glove was destroyed, and Willow says that Angel saved her from a horrible flamey death, which kind of makes her like him again. Buffy walks up to the group and asks what they're talking about, and Oz says, oddly enough, your boyfriend again. So we have that bookend from the group's conversation in the beginning. Buffy says he's really not her boyfriend. She's not sure what he is. And she looks at Xander and asks if they're okay. I understand that Buffy wants to make sure she's all right with her friends and she feels bad about lying to them. But I really wanted Xander to also apologize here. She is so apologetic to him and... He's the one who set Faith in the direction of killing Angel. But Buffy still feels guilty. So I think we have that theme here of guilt driving people's actions. Also, Buffy is trying to reconnect. She is trying to end that isolation, which resolves a bit of that subplot, which is something else that we do in the falling action. Xander does say that yes they're okay but seeing Angel and Buffy kissing he sort of leaned toward the postal but I trust you and Cordelia says I don't just for the record it's interesting that Willow's guilt over keeping her and Xander's growing romance a secret led her to understand Buffy more and be more sympathetic to Buffy keeping a secret. And it doesn't seem to have that effect on Xander at all, which adds to my view that he is just awful in this episode. It could be that his own guilt drives him to be harder on Buffy, but I don't think there's anything in the text that suggests that. Giles walks over to them. His head is bandaged. He tells them that Gwendolyn Post was a watcher, but they kicked her out a couple years back for misuse of dark power. They swear there was a memo. So this is what I mean by another danger of isolation. Giles being isolated from the council could be part of what led to him not knowing this. Uh, it also raises how diligent the council is because I don't believe Giles would forget a memo like that. Buffy leaves to go see Faith and Willow says the angel thing is so weird. Giles says, yes, we'll have to see how that unfolds, won't we? He is much more calm now. I think he does have a little bit more trust in Buffy. That bandage on his head, it emphasizes his vulnerability. And it is one of the rare times that we will see any of our characters with the after effects of the injuries that they get. And we're going to see that again in a moment because Buffy knocks on Faith's motel room door. And Faith is sitting on the bed and she just says, come in. She doesn't even go look to see who it is. Which is an interesting character moment. Is she depressed? Does she have a death wish? Does she want someone to come in and fight her? Her face is swollen. It's, it's pretty swollen. And this is one of the few times we see a slayer looking beat up after a fight. Buffy, however, looks fine. Buffy tells her that Gwendolyn Post fooled everybody, even Giles. But this doesn't make Faith feel better. She says it just proves you can't trust anyone, which she should have learned by now. Buffy says you can trust me. And she adds that it might seem strange because she was just kicking Faith's face. And I think that really misses the issue. And I'm not sure I buy Buffy wouldn't be more perceptive about that, that it isn't the fighting. 
that Faith is upset about. And and she does sort of get that because she says she knows she kept secrets, but she didn't have a choice. That just doesn't feel like enough. I felt like Buffy was too apologetic, more than she probably would be with Xander, and much less so with Faith in terms of uh, at least explaining why she didn't share about Angel. But she tells Faith she's on Faith's side, and Faith says, I'm on my side, that's enough. Buffy tells her, not always, and Faith says, is that it? clearly wanting Buffy to leave. So Buffy turns, heads for the door, and Faith says, Buffy. But when Buffy turns back, looking hopeful, she says nothing. But this does leave us with a little hope that the two will connect again, that Faith isn't going to hold a grudge forever. On first watch, this interplay between Buffy and Faith is part of what didn't quite work for me. I understand we need it for the arc of the season, but as I said before, I didn't quite buy that Faith was so upset early on that Buffy wouldn't talk to her about her past with Angel. I do get that she's upset Buffy didn't tell her Angel was back because they are the only two slayers. I think Faith feels this or was starting to feel this really strong bond and not only did she trust Post, she was trusting Buffy until she found out about Angel being back and Buffy's I didn't have a choice it just doesn't quite work for me maybe I needed her to go a little beyond and say I didn't have a choice because I was afraid everyone would do exactly what you did just assume the worst and try to kill him But I still don't see her phrasing it as I didn't have a choice because remember back in Lie to Me, Buffy says to Ford, who is about to die a terrible death from cancer, she says, you have a choice. It's not a good choice, but it's a choice. And Buffy typically is the last person to dodge responsibility. Normally we see her taking on responsibility for everything and being overwhelmed by it. So that too doesn't... Um, doesn't quite fit for me. Maybe later in the season, there'll be some reason that we wanted to frame it that way. I don't really remember. For all the things that I felt faltered here, this episode does show why season three really moves into becoming Buffy as this amazing show that you can rewatch multiple times and see different things in it every time. Watching on rewatch posts very calculated manipulation of Giles and of Faith is really amazing and so well written and all the emotional arcs here and relationships are so strong and even that theme of isolation which is never really spoken but is a very strong undercurrent all of that are are things I got on rewatching more than once so this is really what I love about the show there is still no DVD commentary Um, I'm sure there is some later in the season I'm looking forward to it because I felt like the writers and directors commentary gave us so much in seasons one and two but that is it for this episode other than spoilers and foreshadowing thank you so much for listening and I hope you will come back next Monday for Lover's Walk when Spike returns and we actually get some more revelations. If you are enjoying the show and would like to support it on Patreon, there is a link in the notes and you will get 
access to bonus content, including a breakdown of Jessica Jones' pilot episode and questions and answers just for patrons. Or you can support the show by tweeting or sharing it on social media or telling a friend about it, which I would really appreciate. You can find back episodes at my author website, where you'll also find my fiction at lisalilly.com. And we are back for spoilers. So it is not explicit here, but it is hinted at this issue of why isn't the Watcher's Council finding Faith a place to live? She is in this motel room. Post calls it Spartan. And it is Spartan and kind of dingy. And we get the impression not in a great part of town. And it really shows how the council disregards the Slayers as people. We'll learn as we go on how disposable they see them as and this complete lack of concern. Because we will ultimately find out that Watchers get paid, but Slayers don't. So we can see where Faith might have a fair amount of resentment toward Buffy, whether she's aware of it on the surface or not, not just at being excluded from Buffy's friends, but perhaps it's an issue more of, wow, Buffy has this great life. She has the mom. She has the house. Um, she has nice clothes, she has a nice place to live, and all these friends and a great watcher. And Faith does not have any of those things. As a side note, um, and I never thought of this till I listened to the podcast Still Pretty, Lani, Diane Rich, and Noelle LaCroix talked about, I don't remember which episode or I'd point you to it, why doesn't Joyce invite Faith to come live with them? We all bring certain things to fiction from our own experience and that never crossed my mind. Once I heard it, I thought, yeah, you know, that that's a pretty good point. Wouldn't that be something Joyce might do? But when I was growing up, and particularly when I was in high school, my parents' budget was really tight. I don't think that they could have added another person to feed and get clothes for My mom always invited my friends to dinner. Like if she was making dinner and someone was over, they were always invited to dinner. At the same time, if I was constantly having a friend come over for snacks and and one of my friends used to come over for breakfast before we went to school, like my mom would say sometimes, listen, you know, that girl eats a lot. I'm having to buy double the food and I, I can't do that. So you need to not invite so often for food. She would never say that in front of the person, and if they were there, she would always feed whoever was in the house. But now and then it was a reminder that she would do. So it would not have crossed my mind that a parent would be easily able to absorb the cost of another person. Also, most of the friends I had, once we turned 18 and finished high school, we were expected to either move out or start chipping in at home, helping pay the bills if we were not in college. Even in college, I went to community college and my part-time job, and I played a little bit of music on the side, that was how I paid for tuition and my clothes and any food when I was going between work and school. 
I ate at home. Like I didn't have to pay rent. I had somewhere to live. I always had enough to eat. So I, I didn't have a tough life in any regard in that sense. But again, it adds to it never crossed my mind because I, I always read Faith as being about 19 that someone else should be supporting her um, outside of the council. Like the, the council is, she's essentially working for the council, so they ought to be paying her. And we will see later how slang really interferes with a young woman's ability to do another kind of work, another kind of job. So the fact that the council doesn't compensate slayers or at least make sure they have basic needs met is pretty terrible. The Faith and Buffy relationship, I had forgotten how close they they really become in the beginning of this season. And we see a little of that here in the beginning when they're slaying together and they're hanging out together. And then it is derailed by Faith finding out Buffy has kept this secret from her, but they will become close again. The two actresses have great chemistry with each other. Another thing I just didn't see on first watch but made total sense later when I started listening to different podcasts, uh, and so I'm embarrassed it took that long for me to think about it, was this idea that Faith and Buffy might have a romantic relationship. And now watching it, I can see where you can read it that way and certainly where Faith might have feelings for Buffy. And I think the show did a great job of leaving that open to interpretation, and it's another area where the audience can fill in what else is going on under the surface and I kind of love that. Willow's comment about her slaying skills being in some circles considered formidable is a nice little foreshadowing of what we will get down the road when Faith and Buffy do become so close and they're going out hanging out all the time and they're slaying and Buffy doesn't want to bring Willow with anymore. She is mainly concerned for Willow. Now that there's another slayer there isn't as much reason for her friends to have to back her up and put themselves in danger but there is also this joy that Buffy has in this closeness with someone who is like her and faces what she faces and she's so wrapped up in that that she doesn't see that Willow is feeling hurt and excluded. Um, That also is a bit of a parallel to a romantic relationship and does more to build that idea that this is a romantic or sexual relationship between Buffy and Faith because it has that feel of Buffy being so excited about this new person in her life and this bond that is different from what she shares with her friends and more intense. So I, I do love that we foreshadow the idea of Willow going with Buffy when they're slaying versus Buffy and Faith. And of course, all of this with Gwendolyn Post foreshadows how negatively both slayers react when Wesley shows up and how Giles reacts as well, though he he does confirm that Wesley is legitimate, but none of them are very inclined to take what Wesley says at face value or give him a lot of deference, and Faith outright just walks out and says, screw that. 
And this is when, while Buffy does follow along and follow the rules, Buffy starts to rebel as well. And the Gwendolyn Post episode does so much to start her on this path and Faith on this path, which is also why I think I love the episode so much more on rewatch. On first watch, it seems more like a one-off episode other than, okay, now it's out there that Angel is back and we have this tension between Buffy and Faith, but it doesn't feel like it's moving the season arc and yet it is setting up so much. Oh, on that note, I should go back. The fact that the council doesn't provide somewhere for Faith to live and that she is in this motel, that will be really key later when she starts working for the mayor. One of the first things he does is move her out of the motel. He is worried uh, about, he doesn't like her living there. He says something about improper liaisons going on in that motel. And he gets her this really nice apartment with beautiful furnishings. And it's so striking because the council never gives her a second thought. And we find out her childhood, no, no one has really taken care of Faith. And the mayor is the first one to do that. So it goes a long way toward why she feels so close to him and why he matters so much to her. So this episode also sets that up so well. And finally, I do think this foreshadows Buffy ultimately quitting the council because while mainly we're seeing here their lack of concern for Faith, they have also showed a lack of concern for her and Giles by not making sure that they knew about Gwendolyn Post and by not doing anything themselves apparently to monitor Post. Also, clearly they weren't paying much attention to Faith because Coquistos killed her watcher and they never thought to tell Giles. They didn't tell him there was a new slayer, Faith, and they didn't tell him about her watcher being killed. So I think all of this is setting up when Buffy says, this is it, This I'm not working for you people. So that is it for this Monday. Thank you again for listening and supporting the show. And I hope you'll come back next Monday for Lover's Walk, a great chance to see Spike at least once in season three. If you would like to comment on the show, you can email me lisa at lisalily.com or tweet me at lisa Amazon Marie Lily hashtag Buffy story. Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman LLC, copyright 2020. All rights reserved.